You're going to love this. Just love it. Says you. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Affiliates in Parts Unknown, and, of course, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. If not you, if not Donald Trump, I don't know. But uh, I am from bradblog.com, and glad you could join us here for another action-packed adventure, another action-packed week, although I will hope, and I'm sure, Desi Doyen, you join me in, in, in this hope, that it is not as action-packed as last week. Yeah, I would like for the news <laughs> was... volcano to slow down for just a little bit slow down please news volcano um we'll see though it, it doesn't look like it's gonna frankly. no no it, it doesn't. doesn't look like it's gonna but we did have there was a bunch of stuff there was so much in last week's news volcano as our producer desi Doyen describes it that we we didn't get to last week that i want to try to at least touch on a little bit today uh including more from uh from last week's debate and i always had to put that in quotes but since this is radio you can't see those quotes that in which I am putting it. So uh, last week's discussion, last week's advertisement on Fox News, last week's, boy, I don't know what to call it. But anyway, we will uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the debate. Um, also, we didn't even get to note, and this was probably far more important, far more important, I think, than last week's debate. The final show of Jon Stewart and The Daily Show. I know. And I didn't get to... Uh, to, to even touch on it, and we probably won't touch on it much today, but I do kind of want to note that it has occurred because it really, and so many other people have already commented on it, so, you know, I don't need to go into detail here, but uh, John Stewart and The Daily Show, he ended his run on that program on Thursday of last week. Uh, he will be hugely missed and of course, he's he's not dead, so he'll be around. He'll be doing stuff. We don't know what, but his impact on politics and the coverage of politics simply cannot be overstated over this past decade and a half. He has been just that important, that crucial to the way the media cover politics and the way we, the people here in America, see politics and see w what goes on. 
he's he's that important. And as a matter of fact, I think with all of the tributes to him over the past several days, over the past week as he was leaving, uh, there was a lot of it. But even that, I don't think fully uh, covered the importance of the work that he did on The Daily Show each and every night. Well, four nights a week. Nice. For 16 years. For 16 years. Uh, and uh, so he will be missed. And I suspect we'll be talking about this more in the days ahead. We may actually have a guest on this uh, program to talk about it in the days ahead. But I just kind of want to say, uh, as if uh, John Stewart listens to this program every day, and you know that he <laughs> does. You know that he does. We have showed up every now and again throughout the years on uh, 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 on the Daily Show. Not me personally, but a story that we covered or a screenshot that uh, from Brad Blog or something like that. In any event, uh, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you, John. Thank you for staying true to the mission. Thank you for telling the truth, at least as you saw it. And he did. He told it as he saw it. And there was times when I... I disagreed with him times where I believe he got the story wrong. But I just want to say thanks because he told the stories as he as he believed them, as he, he thought that they were important. And I, I understand and I appreciate more, especially as we do this show now every day, um, sort of the maze of of news and the filter that the day's news goes through as you try to determine what matters, what's important, what do the American people, what do the world people need to know about and again you don't always get that right uh, but taking the time to figure that out and to to decide what needs coverage more than other things what is it in the the, the corporate media what are they getting terribly wrong and that you know needs to be responded to uh, and doing that in earnest every day as he and uh, uh, the staff of The Daily Show did, I just uh, I, I can't uh, say how much I, I greatly appreciate that. And it's pretty astounding when you think about it that there are there are people in their 20s now who have not really known a, a world as adults, a world without Jon Stewart and yeah. The Daily Show and the specific way that The Daily Show unpacks or unpacked mm -hmm. the, the the news of the day, and as you said, the, you know the important stories of the day, putting them in context, putting them in, in, in historical context, and also you know the broader political context of you know when people are lying and when they're not. So having that is going to not having that going forward, I think will be very interesting for young people today. And helping people understand what they actually should be outraged about, yes. what they should be mad about, because there's so much you know the the, the news, uh, the the especially the cable news cycle, but the local news cycle it is about trying to outrage people trying to frighten people uh and and they're successful you know i remember we were home uh i went visited family i don't even remember what it was a few months back uh and i was talking to someone in my family who was just terrified in the middle of missouri was just terrified about isis and was worried that she was going to be attacked, that her family, that they needed guns. I mean, and they live in the middle of Missouri, in the middle of, you know, not exactly a prime ISIS target. But they watch the news every day. And they watch, well, at this house, Fox News every day. And, you know, they are told to be, there are things to be outraged about. There are things maybe to be even frightened about. But they are not generally the things that our cable news media tell you to be frightened about. And uh, John Stewart, I realize it's a you know cable, basic cable, late night, doesn't have the kind of audience uh, that other programs might. But 
he balanced the equation at least a little bit to say, yeah, here's what they're telling you to be uh, frightened about. Here's what you actually should be frightened about. So, uh, well, we can hope that uh, Stephen Colbert or Stephen Colbert, we'll see what he calls himself, uh, who returns to television. He, too, left earlier this year. Uh, and uh, That was a great loss. But he at least will be coming back as the host of the uh, uh, the Late Show on CBS and I hope that he is ready to fill a, uh, a huge gaping absence that now exists uh, in political satire and commentary on the television tubes. Uh, no idea what Colbert will do, but man, do we need him to step up right now as we head into this ridiculous, ridiculous 2016 political season. And as I said, more on the ridiculous 2016 political season in a bit. Uh, some of the items we didn't get to last week. Uh, with my guests uh, Heather Digby-Parton and Paul Rosenberg as we dissected that debate last week. Um, and, and they were great. It was a smart conversation about that, uh, that Fox News debate. If you missed it, you should download it. You should listen to it post-haste or at least post-broadcast. You can download it from bradblog.com or over at iTunes where our programs are always available in full for free. Um. Anyway, we'll get to uh, some of that in a bit and maybe of some of uh, Donald Trump's latest bloody fund over the weekend. Right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, and also maybe some thoughts. We'll see because uh, I want to get to this in some fashion this week. The question is uh, how best to do it uh, concerning uh, the latest Black Lives Matter protest at a Bernie Sanders event over the uh, weekend up in Washington state. For now, I will just say that while the protesters managed to shut down one rally uh, and and enrage a lot of people, a lot of progressives, uh, Bernie Sanders then went on to fill an arena in Portland, no problem, with some 20,000 supporters. 20,000 people are showing up at Bernie Sanders rallies. And everyone is following uh, Donald Trump and ignoring Bernie Sanders and uh, behaving as if he's sort of a fringe candidate challenging uh, Hillary Clinton and not paying attention to what he's doing. So, uh, you know, whatever the effect uh, the protesters had uh, on uh, Bernie Sanders, which I know, like I said, some are very angry about, it didn't seem to deter Sanders' message. And in fact, it actually may have helped to enhance it. Uh, because he did put out a, a statement, at least a draft statement, and a very impressive one, a very strong one, on racial justice uh, the following day. So, uh, and and more, and has taken other actions uh, as well to respond in some fashion to those protests that he's, uh, that he's receiving. So, uh, you know, and I love it. I love democracy. I know democracy is messy. I know it bother bothers a lot of people. It doesn't bother me. And it might have actually done him some good, as you say, as we'll far see. as getting yeah. coverage in the corporate media, we'll see. because the disruption actually elevated the appearance that he made. Now, by the way, I should say that uh, some people with the Black Lives Matter national movement are disavowing those people who interrupted Bernie. They're saying, oh, those are not uh, that's not us. That's a, a, a break off branch, a separate branch. Well, in any case, um, we will uh, probably talk about that in the uh, in the minutes, days and weeks ahead. Uh, in the meantime, an emergency has been declared 
uh, in uh, not the one you think. An emergency has been declared as one million gallons of toxic mine waste has spilled into the uh, uh, Colorado River. Animus River uh, in Colorado. Uh, thank you for the correction. Uh, tribal officials with the Navajo Nation declared an emergency, uh, an emergency as a massive plume of contaminated wastewater from an abandoned Colorado mine flowed down the San Juan River on Monday toward Lake Powell in Utah, which supplies much of the water to the southwest. I should say to the parched southwest out here. Uh, We can't really afford to lose a hell hell of a lot of water. Uh, some uh, Some drinking water systems on the Navajo Nation, which spans parts of New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah, have now shut down their intake systems and stopped diverting water from the river. Uh, Navajo President Russell Begay, I believe I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly, said the tribe is frustrated with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, plans to take legal action against them, blames the uh, an EPA-supervised crew for causing the spill while attempting to clean up the mine area. This is apparently a, 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 a mine, a gold mine, is it? Yes, it's an abandoned gold mine from the 1880s. And the irony here is that the EPA crew was there to clean up the massive uh, store of toxic wastewater that was left behind when the mine company abandoned this mine. And that that toxic wastewater they know has been leaking into the groundwater. So they were going into the mine, this EPA cleanup crew, going into the mine to stop that contamination and figure out a better way. But they accidentally, in an accident, obviously, uh, they released the water instead. They dislodged a containment dam and oh, it sure. spilled out. So they so say it's an accident. That's what they but said. clearly this has been done so that we can unleash the FEMA camps and <laughs> oh, I see where you're getting yeah, with that. And, and, you know, and it's it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, the EPA is actually taking responsibility for the accident, unlike the mining company that left behind the toxic waste, which that mining company, as I understand it, is still in operation. They really? just shunted it off. Onto well, this the mine EPA. has been inactive since 1923. Right. But the mining company that owned it in the 1920s really? still exists. Wow. But apparently they were able to palm off their responsibility to the uh, to the taxpayer to clean it up. Oh, let the EPA Superfund come in and do it. Yeah. Why should we? The yellow plume of wastewater now stretches 100 miles uh, through the river, through the uh, farms along the Animas and San Juan Yes, because it's valleys. gone from yeah. Colorado now through New Mexico, and it's about to enter Utah. Utah. It was three times longer than initially estimated. The EPA uh, has uh, initially estimated one million gallons escaped. There could end up being a lot more. The water is laced, and it's this disgusting. It's orange. It looks like orange. I would say it's more soda. yellow, but yellow. yeah, it looks like it looks like yellow mustard. It it's uh, laced with heavy metals, including lead and arsenic, and it was spilled from the Gold King Mine in the historic town of Silverton, turning the Animas River in Colorado a mustard yellow last week, according to AP. Uh, and beautiful area of the world. Oh the yeah, Silverton uh, Railroad up there, it's and fantastic. in an area as you said that that can't really afford to to lose its water supply. So it just shows, you know, we have this legacy of toxic mines abandoned across the West, and especially for the Navajo Nation, they have numerous abandoned uranium mines that the EPA is now trying to clean up because those uranium mines are contaminating the groundwater. So, you know, that's the thanks, private industry, for leaving us all to hold the bag to clean this up. 
More on that, no doubt, in our next uh, Green News report. I think we got one coming up tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, I want to get to one other story that was sort of uh, overlooked last week. Actually, two stories that uh, combine into one from last week. But to tell this story properly, I got to go back even farther. I got to go back to 2012. On December 14, 2012, I'm sure we all remember this a mentally impaired. 20-year-old man Adam Lanza fatally shot 20 children and six adult staff members at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Newtown, Connecticut. Prior to the shooting, Lanza also shot and killed his mother in their Newtown home. Lanza finally committed suicide by shooting himself in the head as first responders arrived at the scene of the horrible massacre at the Sandy Hook Elementary School that day. It was the deadliest mass shooting at a high school or grade school in U.S. history. It was the second deadliest mass shooting by a single person in the U.S., second only to the 2007 Virginia Tech shootings. Uh, after it happened, as I know uh, listeners will recall, there were calls for background checks for all gun sales in the United States. These were widely supported by Democrats, by Republicans, by gun owners, by members of the uh, Nas uh, National Rifle Association, the NRA. Huge, more than I think it was 80 percent of NRA members supported increased background checks to close the loophole, the gun show loophole in other ways that people can get their hands on these guns without going through a proper background check. There were calls for that. There were calls for a, a renew, renewing the ban that had elapsed on certain types of semi-automatic weapons. And among the noise for those very popular changes to gun safety laws, opponents of them, such as the NRA itself, if not its membership, but the NRA itself, the people who control the NRA, largely on behalf of the, uh, of the weapons industry, the arms industry, they cited the fact. They said, you know what? There's nothing we get. Why bother t taking any action? Why bother closing these loopholes? Why bother increasing gun safety? Because if the people don't have guns, they'll just find another way to kill people. And they cited the fact, the irony, on that very same day, a man, and this is true, a man in a small village in a southern province of China, on the very same day as the Newtown attacked, uh, killed uh, 20 children, in the southern province of China, a man attacked 22 school children with a knife. And it was a horrible incident, incident that uh, proponents of unfettered gun laws uh, in the U.S. were citing busily in those days following Newtown, pointing to, yeah, you know, they'll find another way. They'll get a gun. Look what they have. Look what happened in China where they have very strict gun control. Still, someone found how to attack 22 school children with a knife. Uh, 22 kids and an 85-year-old woman were brutally attacked that day in China in that province. So unfettered gun proponents cited that horrible case in China on the same day as Sandy Hook to say that, you know what, it doesn't matter what you do. Crazy people, mentally unbalanced people, will find a way. They will find a way to kill no matter what. It doesn't matter if they have guns or not. Even if you made it more per difficult to purchase certain guns or even outlawed some of them altogether, mentally unstable people will find a way. And that may be true. But the difference in the case in China at that school 
The way that that is different than what happened in Newtown, Connecticut, compared to that mass shooting at the Sandy Hook Elementary School where 20 children and six teachers were killed, what was the biggest difference? Well, in China, in that attack on 22 school children, not a single one of them died. Nobody died as a result of that mass stabbing that took place at the grade school in China on the very same day as the gun, the mass shooting attack uh, in Sandy Hook. Meanwhile, and, and that's, you know, people just as soon as people began to point that out, as soon as it became clear that, yeah, none of those children were actually going to die. Well, the NRA stopped talking about that mass stabbing because, yes, it does make a difference. And, yes, I don't want my child to be stabbed either. But if I have a choice between being shot and killed and stabbed and surviving, my choice is pretty clear. At the same time, last week, we didn't have time to cover this because so much was going on, but we had yet another violent attack at a movie theater in Tennessee. And in this case, the alleged attacker, a 29-year-old schizophrenic, had had reportedly been uh, c- committed to men- mental institutions on four separate occasions and, and was, thankfully, therefore, unable to purchase a real firearm. Instead, he attacked moviegoers uh, at this uh, movie theater in Tennessee with pepper spray, an axe. He had an air pistol, a, a pellet gun. He reportedly even had a, a propane a tank or something with him to try and fashion some sort of a bomb. But because he was unable to buy a real gun, because he couldn't buy a real semi-automatic gun with a large magazine after large magazine as the shooter in Sandy Hook had access to, uh, this guy at this movie theater in Tennessee last week was able to kill nobody. Now, he might have. He, he had an axe, and obviously an axe is very dangerous. Uh, a pellet gun can be dangerous, so certainly a bomb made out of propane can be dangerous if you could figure that out. But in this case, with no real gun, it was not easy to kill anybody, and in fact, he was able to kill nobody, thankfully because he had no access to a real gun. Had he had access uh, to, to the type of weapons that were used in Sandy Hook, there is little doubt that he would have had, we, w- we would have had another incident like the one just the week before in a movie theater in Lafayette, Louisiana, where two people were killed and several others injured. Or like the one in the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado in 2012, where that shooter was able to kill 12 people and wound about 70 people in about 90 seconds after he had been allowed to purchase thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo online, delivered to him by FedEx without ever even needing to show an ID to vote. I'm sorry, to, without an ID to, to shoot, any, without an ID to, bite, to, to buy this, uh, these, this ammo. The reason I said to vote is because that's on my mind here. Lucky, lucky that he wasn't trying to vote because he didn't have an ID, so he wouldn't have been allowed to vote. But he could buy thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition. No questions asked. Voting, however, that would have required a, f- a photo ID in a whole bunch of places but not buying thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo to, uh, to kill people. No problem there. No Republicans calling for an ID for, for that. Anyway, that shooter, 
James Holmes at the uh, Aurora, Colorado movie theater from 2012. He was recently found guilty of murder and uh, much more. And last Friday, last Friday, the verdict was returned in the sentencing phase of that trial against the Aurora, Colorado shooter to determine if he, an obviously mentally disturbed man, to determine if he would receive the death penalty or life in prison. On Friday, the jury returned their verdict, deciding to not kill the Aurora shooter. For once, they decided to not kill a mentally ill person. Good. Nice. Thank you. He will instead be jailed for life. Apparently, all of this is thanks to just one holdout inside that jury. I guess it was a 12 angry men type situation, uh, although in this case, the jury, the juror doesn't appear to have changed the minds of the other jurors, as in uh, 12 angry men. But under Colorado law, that juror didn't need to change the minds of, of the other folks. All jurors must agree to either invoke the death penalty or not. And in this case, one juror did not do so. So one obviously, obviously, clearly mentally impaired individual will not be killed by our government or the Colorado government in this case. And I would argue that's a good thing. And I know that some of the families of those killed in the incident are uh, are very upset about this or are very upset about the fact that they won't be killing the person who killed their loved one. And I'm not going to question their own grieving in any way, shape or form. But I, for one, am grateful to the one to the one still unidentified juror who stood up against his peers on that jury to say no more killing here, not of a mentally impaired person person so whoever you are one unidentified juror my thanks my thanks to you thanks to that juror for courageously doing the right thing i know that couldn't have been easy facing all of those other jurors in that jury room but standing up against uh more killing particularly at the hands of our government particularly of a mentally impaired person thank you for standing up and doing the right thing. But just a reminder, back in Tennessee, where a similarly mentally unbalanced individual was prepared to go on a similar rampage, it's a good reminder that that attacker was able to kill nobody because he was unable to get his hands on a gun to do so. Let's take a quick break, and we will lighten things up a bit with a little bit more on the uh, Republican debate from last week and uh, your good friend, Desi Doyen, Donald Trump. I'll be back in a moment. I am Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will get back to the uh, tears of the clowns momentarily. But uh, uh, as we are uh, going to air today, uh, St. Louis County, Missouri, my old home county, has declared a state of emergency and is now bracing for possible unrest as prosecutors filed charges against an 18-year-old who was shot and critically wounded by police overnight last night in what the uh, New York Times is describing the periphery of demonstrations commemorating the killing one year ago of Michael Brown, 18-year-old black teenager, by a white police officer in that town in Ferguson, Missouri, which I'm sure you all remember. Apparently, this uh, shootout that occurred late last night had nothing to do with the protests, uh, or at least with the uh, the protests that were going on to mark the one-year anniversary of that shooting. Uh, it seemed like they might have something to do with that last night in the media. Apparently, these are separate incidents. However... For whatever reason, and this is one of those cases that we don't know a lot yet, so we're not uh, going to re be reporting much on it one way or another. But um, apparently the uh, St. Louis County manager has declared a state of emergency and arrests have begun. Dozens of people have now been arrested. Protesters who were protesting peacefully. But they were arrested, which I guess now under the state of emergency, they have some sort of a special right to do. Um, among those arrested, Cornell West, professor, activist, author, uh, and other folks uh, for civil disobedience in this case. Um, hopefully they've got uh, cameras on, uh, body cameras now in St. Louis County. I guess we'll find out soon enough because uh, some people are charging that this, uh, this guy, this 18-year-old uh, guy who was shot and charged, with firing back heavy gunfire against police, uh, relatives are saying he was doing nothing but running from the incident. Who knows who's right at this point? Uh, but that's what's going on in Ferguson one year after the shooting of Michael Brown. And uh, hopefully we don't repeat what happened one year ago this week out there. So, But we will see. We've got our eyes on it. All right. Um, Back to a couple of items from last week's debate that I had hoped to get to when we were speaking with Digby, Heather Digby-Parton and Paul Rosenberg last week, but we weren't able to get to. But I want to just uh, put them out here because they sort of have gotten lost in all the Donald Trump sturm and drong. <sighs> Donald Trump versus Megyn Kelly. And uh, you know what? We don't even need to go there right now. I suspect everyone who's listening has probably seen all of the Donald Trump nonsense over the weekend. Maybe we'll get to it in a second, but I want to make sure we have time for this. Uh, this was the exchange that took place very early on in the debate last week between uh, Chris Christie, New Jersey governor, 
former prosecutor, U.S. attorney under the uh, Bush administration, and Rand Paul, uh, who's been fighting against mass spying by the NSA and so forth. And, uh, well, you know, everyone in this debate was trying to have their moment, trying to throw a, a fit that would make its way onto the, uh, onto the news, onto the news bites. Donald Trump pretty much sucked up every bit of oxygen uh, from that particular matter. But uh, this is a a fight that I don't want to go unnoticed. So here was Chris Christie uh, interrupted by Rand Paul and their their subsequent back and forth concerning the Fourth Amendment and concerning uh, warrantless wiretapping. We have to give more tools to our folks to be able to do that, not fewer, and then trust those people and oversee them to do it the right way as president. That is exactly what I'll do. I want to collect more records from terrorists, but less records from innocent Americans. And I'm proud of standing for the Bill of Rights, and I will continue to stand for the Bill of Rights. And, and Megan, Megan, that's a, that, you know, that's a completely ridiculous answer. I want to collect more records from terrorists, but less records from other people. How are you supposed to know, Megan? Use the Fourth Amendment. How are you supposed to? Use the Fourth Amendment. No, I'll tell you how you get a warrant. Let me tell you something. You go. Get a judge to sign a warrant. You you know, Senator. Wait, wait, Governor Christie, make your point. Listen, Senator. You know, when you're sitting in a subcommittee just blowing hot air about this, you can say things like that. When you're responsible for protecting the lives of the American people, then what you need to do is to make sure is to make sure that you use the the system the way it's supposed. Here's the problem, Governor. You fundamentally misunderstand the Bill of Rights. Every time you did a case, you got a warrant from a judge. I'm talking about searches without warrants, indiscriminately of all Americans' records, and that's what I fought to end. I don't trust President Obama with our records. I know you gave him a big hug, and if you want to give him a big hug again, go right in. And you know... You know, Senator Paul, Senator Paul, you know, the hugs that I remember are the hugs that I gave to the families who lost their people on September 11th. Oh, stop, Chris Christie. You remember those hugs. Uh, In any event, uh, Rand Paul here, uh, I'm no fan of Rand Paul in any way, shape or form. He is absolutely right. More records from terrorists, less from other people. And with Chris Christie saying uh, there is no searches without warrant. And as a matter of fact, he, he didn't finish saying that. He said there is no such uh, no searches without. And he knew that he was wrong. Of course, there has been searches without warrant. Of course, that's what the entire NSA spying scandal was about. That's exactly why Edward Snowden is uh barricaded in uh, isolated in in Russia at this point all of these years later because he released the fact the undeniable fact that yes the United States was spying without a warrant on virtually every citizen in the nation and that Chris Christie as the US attorney during that period after 9/11 and by the way He lied about his service there. I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, absolutely, there were searches without warrants. Absolutely, they were tracking every call that was placed in the U.S. Absolutely, Rand Paul is right and Chris Christie is wrong. Now, I don't think either of them at this point seem to have a, 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 a shotgun's chance in hell as they say, of uh, obtaining the uh, Republican nomination. But let's let's just be honest about what the facts are. Let's be honest about what the truth is. And let's be honest about the fact 
that Chris Christie is absolutely wrong and or lying about uh, about searches without warrant. And he should know that, and he does know that, but I think he doesn't give a damn. He also doesn't give a damn about his comment. Uh, he said, I don't think we have the audio handy here, but he said that he was appointed the day before 9-11 to become U.S. attorney, appointed by George W. Bush the day before U.S. Att- uh, the day before 9-11. Uh, that, as it turns out, as our friend uh, Marcy Wheeler over at Empty Wheel pointed out, is also completely untrue. A total and utter lie. No, he was not appointed the day before. Not, he was not appointed on September 10th. And, by the way, he didn't misspeak because he said this three or four different times at various uh, various moments throughout the, the, the campaign over the last several months. And I think as he was running uh, for... Uh, for re-election in New Jersey. So, um, no, he made that up. He made that up to give himself some sort of grand authority over what happened and how to deal with 9-11 because, oh, if you were there, if you failed to stop it, apparently you know how to stop it in the future or something. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, Okay, and again, ain't no fan of Rand Paul. But he's right on this particular issue. Okay, and I wanted, and it needs to be underscored. One other uh, point, at least, that I want to uh, pull out from the debate that sort of got overlooked uh, was Rick Santorum, a, co- a comment that he made during the kitty table debate. Now, remember, Rick Santorum came in second, essentially, in the 2012 uh, uh, nomination contest on the Republican side. He should be, by all rights, in the main primetime event on Fox News, but because they decided they wanted to highlight uh, some people and not others, apparently, Fox News had this uh, terrible, pathetic scheme to use only the people who were the top 10 in the polls in their primetime debate, filled in Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland, filled with fans, as opposed to the afternoon baby table debate which Rick Santorum had to face the shame and ignominy of appearing in before an empty house. But here's one of the points that Rick Santorum, Rick Santorum, who has been one of the most outspoken against marriage equality in this nation for years. As a matter of fact, one of the great prices he paid in his previous elections was because of his outspoken against uh, the LGBT movement, uh, against marriage equality, some of the kind of stupid and terrible things that he said. And in the end, now we have marriage equality in all 50 states. And uh, Des, are you okay? Have you survived since uh, marriage equality? You mean the same-sex marriage apocalypse? You have not been forced to marry another woman under That's this? That's right. Okay. I haven't. Okay. Wow, what a well, shocker. You're lucky. You've escaped. Just <laughs> wait till the government finds out. In any event, uh, life has not uh, changed pretty much out here in these United States, except for gay people who love each other and want to get married to each other. Now they can do so in all 50 states. Uh, and they can do so because the Supreme Court found that uh, the laws apply equally to everyone, equal protection under the law. That you can't say, oh, some people, some people can uh, get married, other people can't. And that's now in place. So the irony of Rick Santorum saying this when he was asked about immigration, completely unrelated to marriage equality, 
But here is uh, Rick Santorum uh, responding to a question, I guess, of uh, how he would uh, deal with the uh, quote-unquote immigration problem in our nation. We're a country of laws, Bill. We're a country of laws, not of men, not of, not of people who do whatever they want to do. I know we have a president who wants to do whatever he wants to do and take his pen and his phone and, and just tell everybody what he thinks is best. But the reason America is a great country, the reason is, is because our compassion is in our laws. And when we live by those laws and we treat everybody equally under the law, what? that's when people feel good about being Americans. What? Treat everybody equally under the law? I guess uh, by everybody, he means just everybody who he says should be treated equally under the law. Not actually everybody. Not actually everybody. Not actually consenting adults who wish to marry each other. Just everybody who Rick Santorum thinks should have equal protection. Equal protection for some. Equal protection for those who Rick Santorum wishes to give equal protection to. And obviously... uh, uh, that does not include gay people, but apparently it does include people who are children uh, who, who came here with their parents, undocumented uh, immigrants who, who came here, who are not citizens, who have been here all their lives, who have who know no other life than that here in the United States. That uh, in a great act of mercy, President Obama has now said will not be deported for the crime of coming over when they were uh, two years old with their parents and that their parents would not be separated from them, or at least it would not be uh, uh, put at the top of the list of people to be deported. That is what uh, Rick Santorum is pretending to be furious about. That is what every other Republican in the race is pretending to be furious about. It's all, of course, stuff. It's what uh, Donald Trump became famous pretending to be furious about all of those rapists coming in from Mexico. Uh, Fine, pretend to be furious about it, but don't use something like equal protection under the law from the Constitution when you, in truth, don't give a damn about equal protection under the law. Rick Santorum. Okay, one other quick point before we go to break here. Uh, We will play some Donald Trump here. Uh, this is because this is amazing, and I'm amazed that so few people have been talking about this. Uh, clip B7, uh, Desi. Uh, here's what uh, Donald Trump ha- had to say when he was called out for, I guess, donating money to other uh, candidates, do- donating money at some point to the Clintons, the Clinton Foundation, as well as to other Republicans on the stage. He said something that, man, just cuts right to the point. He's right on the money. I Obviously, I don't agree with Donald Trump uh, a lot, but man, on this point, he is right on the money. And the fact that other people uh, haven't been spending much time talking about this is actually uh, a bit of a disappointment. You said recently, quote, when you give, they do whatever the hell you want them to do. You better believe it. So what specifically did they do? I will tell you that our system is broken. I give to many people before this, before two months ago, I was a businessman. I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me. They are there for me. 
That is known as quid pro quo. That is completely illegal in this country, or at least it used to be, or at least it still is if anybody out there bothers to enforce the laws. When you give money to a candidate, to somebody running for office, to their super PAC or whatever it is, you are not supposed to get something in return. That is quid pro quo. That is exactly what Donald Trump admitted to receiving from any number of candidates in this case uh, i think it was asked what did what did he get from hillary clinton well he asked her to come to uh, his wedding okay well i think that that was a pretty good dodge <laughs> a dodge to not answer what he got from say oh i don't know folks regulating wall street or folks regulating real estate development in New York City and New York State and around the world. So I think he did a pretty, he was actually purposely trying to shift away and talk about something funny like his wedding, which was innocuous. And, you know, who cares about That's his wedding? That's all he asked yeah, Come to my thing. wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He should be investigated. And uh, frankly, every... Uh, that's the problem with these donations. That's the problem with these rich people giving money. They know why they're doing it. They're not doing it because they support this candidate or that candidate. They are doing it because they want something in return, and they're getting it in return in spades. And Donald Trump admitted it in primetime on Fox News, and nobody's going to do anything about it. Nobody's going to do anything about it, uh, frankly, because uh, prosecutors don't do anything about it. The Federal Elections Commission is absolutely broken. We've talked about that time and time again on this program. Three Republicans and three Democrats, they, they tie on everything. Therefore, nothing gets done. And there he, he just said it. He said it outright, right on uh, uh, primetime television in the most watched uh, primary debate ever 24 million people watching nobody gives a damn they're all talking about they're all talking about what trump said about uh megan kelly the next uh, day on fox news you know you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes uh blood coming out of her wherever wherever well that's what everyone is talking about. That's what everyone is furious about. That stupid, obnoxious comment from Donald Trump, who now says, oh, that wasn't what you think. I didn't say what you think I said. I was talking about blood coming out of her eyes or her nose. Obviously, you'd have to be a, 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 a deviant to, to believe otherwise. Only a deviant would say that what I said was what they were referring to, because nobody can make that statement. You almost have to be sick to, to sort of put that together. Yeah. I don't think so, Donald. Everyone knows what you were saying. That said, everyone's talking about that. Nobody's talking about the fact that Donald Trump just stood up and said, yes, I have participated for years as a businessman in quid pro quo with any number of elected officials. And it hasn't even hurt him in the polls. None of it. None of it has hurt him in the polls, at least according to NBC's post-debate poll, uh, finding that he actually uh, picked up four points from the last time this NBC uh, survey monkey online poll uh, was taken. And beware, because it's an online poll. But uh, it, he got a bump in the polls from everything that went on. Trump is now leading by a mile, 23% in this poll, compared to his second competitor, Ted Cruz, believe it or not, with 13%. Followed by uh, Ben Carson with 11 Fiorina and Rubio tied at eight. I know. Don't look at me, Desi, that way. That's, Wait, Ben I know. Carson? Be, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an online poll. Oh, that's So true. make of it what you will. Bush, Self-selected. Bush and Walker tied at 
in any event, uh, none of this so far appears to have hurt uh, Donald Trump. And that's fine. But what's amazing to me is that nobody gives a damn about the fact that he had admitted to it right then and there to breaking the law, because uh, unlike what Rick Santorum says, we are no longer a nation of laws. We are now a nation of men, rich men, really, really, really rich men. Take a quick break and we're back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back maybe to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our last few minutes here this afternoon. I'm uh, Desi Doyen. Our producer is in here with me. And a lot of times in the uh, the C block of our program, as we like to call it, we talk about green issues. Uh, and as we're sort of combining, uh, finishing up a lot of uh, points from last week's Republican debate that we did not get to late in the week. Well, and a lot of stuff I that was buried. Uh, yes, yeah, stuff that Completely was Completely bar- buried. Among the things that Fox News... Uh, didn't have time to ask the candidates about. They did have time to ask them if they received any word from God concerning their uh, candidacies, but they didn't have time to ask them. Uh, this was last Thursday on the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act when legislator, legislatures all over the country are restricting voting rights for the first time uh, in, in a way that we haven't seen since the Jim Crow era. They didn't even ask any of them about voting rights. They didn't ask about paid family leave, college cost and student debt, gun violence, gun violence, criminal justice reform. We've got uh, you know people being shot in the streets uh, by police. We've got uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement leading to protests all over the country. They couldn't even bring that up. Corporate welfare. They didn't bring that up other than, I guess, Donald Trump talking about how much he enjoys his quid pro quos from the government. And they didn't even bring up climate change, at least not in the main primetime debate. It did come up for one question, one question, one question only in the afternoon debate that not nearly as many people saw. Lindsey Graham, who used to be pretty good on uh, taking action on climate change until he decided He wasn't going to be any good at all on taking action on climate. He was asked by Fox News' Bill Hemmer about his position on climate change during the kiddie table debate in the afternoon. Senator Lindsey Graham, you worked with Democrats and President Obama when it came to climate change, something you know is extremely unpopular with conservative Republicans. How can they trust you based on that record? You can trust me to do the following, that when I get on stage with Hillary Clinton, we won't be debating about the science. We'll be debating about the solutions. Okay, all right. Hang on a second. Debating about the—we won't be debating the science. We'll be debating the solutions. What does he mean by that, does he do? Well, I think he is finally trying to take this conversation that we need to be having as a nation to the next step, you know, getting past the science denial and getting to the policy solutions. Does that mean a cap-and-trade system like the one that Lindsey Graham 
had signed on to in 2009, the uh, Markey, the, the uh, Waxman Markey bill that was going to insu- institute a cap and trade system for the United States to prevent, to, to provide a market signal to cut carbon, which is, of course, basically a Republican idea. Or would it be a carbon tax? Basically, these are huge solutions and policies that we need to be discussing, but we're not because we're still stuck with the Neanderthals who are denying the science at all. But he's implying we're not going to be discussing the science. We're going to be discussing the solution. And that's fine, except you've got an entire swath of this country which watches Fox News, which has no idea what the science is because they are constantly lied to about the science. So they actually think all of these solutions are totally unnecessary because they're nothing more than... Uh, trying to line Al Gore's pockets or whatever nonsense they're they're talking about. So I think they need to talk about both the science and the solution. I see what you're saying. And yeah. the science uh, to so that they understand that, yes, man caused this and therefore man needs to change what it is doing in order to stop this. Let's go back to the rest of uh, Lindsey Graham's response here. In her world, cap and trade will dominate that we will destroy the economy in the name of helping in the environment. In my world, we'll focus on energy independence and a clean environment. When it comes to fossil fuels, we're going to find more here and use less. Over time, we're going to become energy independent. What does that have to do with climate change? I'm tired of sending $300 billion overseas to buy oil from people who hate our guts. The choice between a weak economy and a strong environment is a false choice. That is not the choice I offer America. A healthy environment, a strong economy, and energy-independent America. That would be the purpose of my presidency, is break this stranglehold that people enjoy on fossil fuels who hate our guts. Okay, so... That was the one uh, comment, by by and large, from both debates that had anything to do with climate change. And he immediately turned from climate change to how can we get more fossil fuels? How can we burn more fossil fuels, which has nothing to do with climate change? except it exacerbates climate change. Right. So the idea of continuing to search for more fossil fuels here in America to make the problem worse is is not consistent with actually taking action against climate change. I mean, I think he was trying to thread a very, very careful needle there in order to make it sound like he's still in favor of fossil fuels, which he is. They're a big contributor to him. Uh, You know, but, but talking about energy independence without making reference to the fact that, you know, when we're talking about the resources available to America, the sun shines here, you know, the wind blows here, you know, and there are companies that are taking full advantage of the free sun and the free wind blowing around and generating energy from that. He has not talked about reinstating the tax credits for the renewable energy industry, because remember, the fossil fuel industry has enjoyed permanent tax subsidies, thank you you, to the American taxpayer, for the last 100 years, billions of dollars, about between four and seven billion dollars, depending on how you calculate it. Those are permanent subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, whereas the renewable energy industry has to fight every single year to get their tax credits reinstated every single year. He has not come out in favor of that. And you notice he talked about energy independence here in America. He didn't say here in the United States. He said here in America. Now, uh, that's the code word. Actually, the code word that is being mostly used is energy independence for North America. Right. Because what that means, when you hear North America, they're not talking about the U.S., they're talking about North America. They're talking about the United States and Canada, the dirty tar sands 
up in Alberta, Canada, that is gonna supposedly going to run through the Keystone XL is going to benefit not us. It ain't going to benefit the U.S. That uh, dirty oil uh, is going to either spill across the U.S., but if it doesn't, it's going to be shipped out of the U.S. So when you hear energy independence for North America, they're not talking about doing away with foreign fossil fuel. They're talking about doing away with uh, fossil fuel from overseas and let's make more of it here in the U.S. and the dirty tar sands in Canada, which scientists have said would be game over for the climate if we fully uh, uh, use exploit those. the tar sands. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to point out one more thing with that. He the, the, the question from Bill Hemmer was, how can they trust you because you worked with Democrats on the ta- cap yes. and trade bill? How else is Congress supposed to work? If they don't work with each other and they don't happen to have a veto-proof majority, if they don't have a full all three branches of government, then how is are things supposed to happen? How are things supposed to get done? The only way it's going to happen is if Republicans control every single branch, all three branches, and they get to do anything they want. God forbid they should work with anybody else, any other party, if they are not pure, they need to be run out of Dodge. That's the way the Republican Party now works. Yep. And that's the reason our country no longer works. It is insane. It is madness. It allows for this guy, uh, this once respected governor, Mike Huckabee, uh, governor of of Arkansas, he almost uh, won the uh, nomination back in, what, 2008, allows him to go onto Yahoo News with Katie Couric and say this nonsense, and nobody calls him out on it. They still consider him to be a viable candidate for president of the United States. Climate change, do you believe in it? Uh, I think the climate's been changing over the entire history of the Earth. Do you believe that man contributes to global warming? He probably does, but a volcano in one blast will contribute more than 100 years of human activity. So when... No, no, not true. Is that true? That's completely 100% wrong. So he's completely making stuff up. Yes. Imagine that. People are worried about it, you know? That's very nice, but do you think that men uh, or man... uh, uh, basically contributes to climate change. You know, I, I don't pretend to know. Here's what I do know. When I was in college, we were told that climate was changing, but we were about to go into a deep freeze. And if we didn't make urgent changes in the way we live, mm-hmm. we were all going to be popsicles within another generation. Nope. Now we're hearing that we're going to burn up. I think it's an issue for scientists to talk about, and certainly we, we need to have that. I'm a conservationist. I think we ought to leave the planet in as good or better shape than we found it. But not but really. But in the meantime, we need to be using the resources of the Earth to make sure that people have the best life they can. In the meantime, we need to be destroying it. While we both need to uh, save it, we also need to destroy it. The fact that he could sit there and tell that lie again about the 70s and how all the scientists told us that the we were going to head into a new ice age, no, they weren't telling us that. There were a few scientists who did, but the vast majority... What was it, 80% back then yes. of the reports? 80% of the reports all warned about exactly what we were seeing right now, which is global warming, which is not stopping, which is getting worse. It gets worse no matter what Mike Huckabee says about it. It gets worse no matter what Lindsey Graham wants to lie about it. They can make up anything they want, but we, the people, are going to pay the price no matter what these uh, jackasses wish to do for political expediency. (sighs) My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer. Thank you very much, Desi. To our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. 
We will be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's broadcast, go over to bradblog.com and download it. Or go on over to iTunes, download it there. Better yet, subscribe and get it sent to your uh, to your uh, uh, iPhone or your computer every day. It's free. While you're there, give us a good review. We